Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to ours and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Indeed, thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, your host, and Our Common Ground belongs to you. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we will be honored by a visit by Dr. Tamlin Tucker Work. She is the author of a new book with vital research, and the title, The Black Megachurch, Theology, Gender, and the Politics of public engagement, and we'll be joined by uh, Dr. Tucker Wargs um, momentarily. We hope that you are well. Uh, I am broadcasting from the Our Common Ground studios high above Boston, where it is snowing, uh, an autumn snow, and I am hoping that next week, as we see the um, fickleness of our weather patterns, um, that next week we will have an autumn summer. We're still trying to get in some golf and some good walking time and outdoors kinds of things. But thank you so very much for being with us tonight. Um, News on my front, uh, my mouth died. Uh, It is behaving in a very erratic way. I have... um, given it a mouse's um, penicillin, which would be new batteries, but it seems not to be taking care of the problem. Some notes we want to say to one of my favorite, all-time favorite muse- uh, musicians. Today is the bir- would have been the birthday of Clifford Brown, and we certainly remember him on this day. And another, you know, sometimes um, we need to, um, especially in this talk community, we we need to 
concentrate less on people like Herman McCain and um, others and more about people like Nat Turner. On tomorrow in 1831, Nat Turner would have been captured after his rebellion in Southampton County, Virginia. If you do not know what that is all about, uh, that rebellion began on August 21st, and uh, he was not captured until October 30th. A man who um, started with a few trusted fellow enslaved Africans, and the rebels traveled from house to house freeing slaves and killing the white people they found. The rebels ultimately included more than 70 enslaved and free blacks, and it was on. Nat Turner only confessed to killing one of the rebellion's victims, Margaret Whitehead, who he killed with a blow from a fence post. And it is a part of our history, and if you do not know this important historical resistor, Nat Turner, you should know him, and tomorrow we remember that he was captured on October 30th, 1831. I am very excited uh, about our guest who is joining us tonight, uh, Tamalyn Tucker Wards, and this book, The Black Megachurch, because I think many times we talk about the black church as though it is one building, as though it came out of one history, and indeed it did not. But for those of you who are joining us, we want you to know that you can join so many of our listeners in our chat room located at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. There is always uh, a very vigorous discussion of what's going on over the air in our chat room. And if you want to write it down, our call-in number is 347-838-9852. We'll probably be taking your call following uh, a general discussion about this book, and this book is going to be uh, a very important um, recording of the facts about the black church. Thank you again for being with us, and we're going to get started, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, our guest tonight, who is Tamalyn Tucker Ward. She's an associate professor of political science and African American studies at Hood College. She specializes in American politics, race and politics, African American religion, public policy, gender and politics, and urban politics. Her Her work indeed is interdisciplinary and her courses at Hood include the politics of the black church, black theology, African-American politics, and women in politics. The, the research which focuses on the black megachurch phenomenon and faith-based community development is published in this book. And the book focuses on the black church and politics, and we really do encourage each and every one of you uh, to 
to read this book, to buy it and to read it and make it part of your library. It's an explosion of flourishing black megachurches and how it has changed the landscape of American religious life. She is a graduate of Hampton University and received her Ph.D. at the University of Maryland College Park, and we are so pleased and honored to have us with with us tonight here at Our Common Ground. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to take your calls once we get into this discussion. We're going to share with you a little bit about what I think people think of when they think of black mega churches and black churches in general. But we do a lot of talking about how important and critical the resources that are garnered by black churches in our community are. But we do we really know what this is, this institution, the black church? And do we really understand outside of what we fear about black megachurches, do we really understand who they are, what they are, and what they do? You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Americans across this country began to develop the fundamental structure of what we now know as a civil rights movement. The black church was the core and center of such empowerment. What is the role of the black church in our communities, and where do megachurches fit? I think one of the things that we, that the black church needs to ask itself is what is its mission? What is its mission? Um, I think one of the things that the black church has lost is a good understanding of its mission. Black church is good at preaching, good at singing, good at uh, a lot of things, but black church has not been as good as thinking about what its nature is and thinking about what its mission is. Is its mission primarily saving souls, or is it saving bodies, or is it both together? I think if you see them both together, I think you would have to see that the black church has to be political, because politics is a part of life. It also has to be concerned about saving souls, because tonight at Our Common Ground. Most of us find black churches exciting, but the black megachurch attending them is like going to a show or an event, says our guest tonight. She writes, after a while though, the excitement about the spectacle of the megachurch began to wear off. Yet, 
I remained intrigued. Tonight at Our Common Ground, our guest, Dr. Tamalyn Tucker Ward, will be discussing her new book, The Black Mega Church, Theology, Gender, and the Politics of Public Engagement. This is Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, and I'll be listening for you. Stay tuned. Dr. Tamalyn Tucker-Wargs, welcome so much to Our Common Ground. We're so honored to have you with us tonight, my sister. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be with you. I'm very honored. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I finished the book on Thursday night, and I'm just intrigued. Uh, It's an intriguing phenomenon that you have laid out in this book that so many people don't know, but I, I just um, I, I just want to thank you for what must have been a very tedious, tedious work uh, to have done all of this research and come up with all of this data and even find the churches. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, I'm so glad that someone appreciates this. I mean, it was a lot of years out well, of my life, but I, it, was a, it was a labor of love, and I really wanted to do it and really understand you know these churches that I was so intrigued by. Mhm. Mhm. So. Let me let me ask you uh before we get started about the book. When you entered Hampton University, did you mm-hmm. expect that uh some years later after a PhD at University of Maryland that you would end up writing a book about the black church? Oh, <laughs> I had not um, when I entered Hampton University, um, not really. I mean, I didn't really know that I was going to write about the black church. I knew that I was going to do something. I didn't know I was going to write anything, but I knew I was going to do something that kind of tried to understand, you know, the struggle of black people in America, kind of like a, the contemporary struggle, and then mm-hmm, try to mm-hmm. figure out and think about ways that we can overcome some of the, I guess, challenges that still exist in the post-civil rights era. I mean, I was thinking about those questions. I didn't really know that I would look at it from this perspective, um, but I knew that I would try to do some work in that area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because what you have, what what you really have done, uh, is that you have written a story about hundreds of thousands of black people in this country and how their um their spiritual needs and religious beliefs have built a cornerstone a cornerstone and how that cornerstone has played so much of a significant role but as you studied the 150 churches mega churches i i had no idea when i when i picked up the book I had no idea that there were that many black mega churches in this country. None. Yeah. You and know, it, most people think of the Potter's House. Right. They think of Eddie Long's, whatever his house is called, and they think of Creflo Dollar, whatever uh-huh. his house is called. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and they judge exactly based on the ones that you hear about in mm-hmm. the press that are that, that's written about and you see on TV. Mm-hmm. But how did you identify 150 black megachurches? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, it took it took a while. I mean, I started this research when I was doing my dissertation at the University of Maryland, and I finished in 2002. And when I was really doing like the bulk of this research, there were there were about 66. I had identified 66 to 70 of these churches. So it's really um, one of the things is that it's a it is it is it has been a growing phenomenon. That's one of the things. So as I continue to do the research after you know that time period, I saw that more and more of these churches popping up. So, you know, there there weren't that many, not, you know, not that long ago. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really was just something that, you know, there's no, um, you know, uh, universal list of churches. And so it's something that I really had to discover by, you know, kind of like a, a, a snowball's kind of strategy, you know, looking in, at the places where they are concentrated and finding more and more of them, um, you know, looking at other lists. Um, Emerge Magazine had a list of of black mega churches um, that I kind of started from. They had a list. I don't. I, maybe there were twenty or thirty of them on, on that list. Mm-hmm. And so I remember you know, I that kind of, article. Yes, the Emerge article, and that article kind of changed my life. You know, really talking about these churches. Um, um, it it kind of changed, kind of like the trajectory of what I was going to do. You know, uh, in those next few years. So. Um, that's kind of really how I how I did it, just you know, piecemeal and really just kind of like doing the research step by step mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. to find the but, churches. I'm well, also from Houston originally, and <laughs> you know, I'm, I was in the places. I was I was in Houston, you know, from Houston, um, and there are a lot of these churches there and in Texas in general. And then I moved to 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 the D.C. Maryland area, another concentrated um, area of, the, of where the churches are. And also, I spent a lot of time in Atlanta, so I was around, you know, these churches, and so I kind of. Uh, in, that in way contrast to your own experience as a young mm-hmm. person and the 150 churches that you identified, mm-hmm. what would you say was the most glaring thing? And and the other question that I had is um, that that our audience particularly will have also mm-hmm. is how did you measure what was a mega church? Uh-huh. Um, okay. For the first question, you know, I grew up in Houston. I grew up, even though there are a lot of mega churches in Houston, I had visited some, you know, growing up, um, or, or really as a young adult. But I grew up in a, in a, in a, I guess a medium-sized church, a family church that my great grandmother um, had been a founding member of, and that really was, you know, a very kind of like closely knit. Um, uh, small number of family, I guess, church, (laughs) for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, uh, When I moved and and went to uh, D.C., I found that I really didn't really feel comfortable going to a church like the one I had grown up in. I felt like, I don't know, maybe I felt that it would that the people would all know each other and that I would stand out or that I would you know that I would kind of I didn't really feel comfortable just going to these churches. So I think one of the big differences is that the mega churches kind of offer a way for transplants or migrants to kind of you know jump into a church experience um without having been from an area and really kind of like um get themselves involved in a in a new community. And so I think that's one uh, difference. Um, what was your second question? Um, and, and the second question was, uh, in 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 terms of how how you 
frame define oh, megachurch? Right. Okay, so when I started the research, megachurch really wasn't an academic term. It was very – there was not – a lot of academic literature, or really hardly any academic literature on megachurches, and none on black megachurches. And so really what I was doing was very kind of, at first, was very exploratory. Like I had a baseline definition that I got from someone who was doing the only academic research on white megachurches, which was 2,000 who attended um, services each week, So what they call 2,000 average weekly attendance. Um, but to really figure out uh, the other characteristics of a megachurch was really for me to do, of a black megachurch was really for me to do, to really kind of like develop this as I looked at, you know, that baseline definition and then kind of observed the characteristics of these churches. So, so what, what were the characteristics other than the, the attendance? See, you're talking to Tamlin, mm-hmm. you're talking to a person who when I go to church, I don't want anybody sitting mm-hmm. next to me. <laughs> I go find the last bench and the Uh the last pew so that nobody is, so people are not talking and I can pay attention to what's going on in the service. Mm -hmm. But um, you're talking about churches where there are 2,000, and most of the people in the Mm -hmm. audience, when they think of black churches, they think about some of the staid uh, churches in a community, like there's always a large AME church, there's always a, a one or two large Baptist churches, AME right. churches, Church mm-hmm. of Christ, um, uh, um, 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 mo- uh, mosque, a Muslim mosque, mm-hmm. uh, because I also count those uh, large mosques as mm-hmm. mega churches. Like there's no way you couldn't say that the Nation of Islam. A mm-hmm. mosque in Chicago is not a mega church. It is a mega church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, other than the attendance, does mm-hmm. it ha- you know? And there are a lot of people who really resent mm-hmm. the notion of communities having large attendance, large church, large treasury, mm-hmm. but not participating as a right. resource for the community where where they're located and 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 mm-hmm. and it was intriguing to me to for how you showed that one of the mm-hmm. things in the development of the mega church is that the church moved out of the black community into a suburban area mm-hmm. out of the oh. urban area into the mm-hmm. suburban area. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhat. I mean, yes, they some move, um, but then others don't. I mean, they, one thing, I guess this is kind of a, I don't know if this is on the fence, but one of the, 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 the uh, I guess, myths, not myths, but one of the things I wanted to say, and one of the things I found about these churches is that they are very diverse, and so, and i when you at the beginning of the show, when you talked about the black churches, and we look at the black churches, if it's one comes from one building and all from one tradition, and um and and it really doesn't. You really can't paint paint the black church with. I mean, we really really shouldn't say the black church. We probably should say black churches. The same is the case for these mega churches, which was kind of surprising to me that they are really very diverse. That they have some things in common, but they have many more. They have they have a lot of there. There's a lot of diversity and variance with these churches like their theological orientation, the role that they play in public life, which is really what I was what I was really trying to find out about, the role that they play. Um and, and their emphasis and even their how they kind of relate to the communities around them. Um they aren't all in the suburbs. Really actually 
the majority, a slight majority of them are located within within the city limits, but they do kind of have a suburban. Um, they are kind of a suburban phenomenon in that they are located in places where there are high concentrations of black suburbanites. So these people are, you know, oftentimes coming from the suburbs and then going to the to the churches that are still in the city. Um, they are commuter churches, so people travel from wherever to to you know to go to to go to them. So they kind of have that suburban thing, but not not in that they are all located in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what, one of the yeah. premises of your book is that megachurches really come as a positive uh, result of the mm-hmm. civil rights movement. What yeah. did you mean by that? Okay. Um, I, I talk about it. I say that megachurches are one of what I call the fruits of the civil rights movement, and it just means that um, these churches are a uh, are only possible after the civil rights movement, after kind of like the opening up of society that is a result of the civil rights movement, the the kind of like burgeoning um, and more crystallized, I guess, black middle class that came out as a result of the civil rights movement. And so that's really what I mean meant by that. And so it's evidenced by um, really black suburbanization, really is a result of the civil rights movement, right, after the fair housing laws and after really the, the, the prosperity that came to some African Americans after um, after the civil rights movement or as a result of the civil rights movement. So that's what I mean by it's one of the fruits. Mm-hmm. But I also mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of observed that they also reflect kind of like the fissures um, in kind of like black politics and ways that, um, you know, black people, not just in the church, but just in general, try to address some of the challenges that still exist in the post-civil rights era. Um, and so that's like the other side of that, that there are still, you know, that that we know that even though there was, there was advancement, there are still a lot of things left to be done and a lot of people who weren't really touched by or weren't really, you know, touched in the way that we think they should be, you know, by the results of the civil rights movement. And so these churches kind of reflect different ways of dealing with that. Um, mm-hmm. And that represents some of their diversity. Mm-hmm. Now, in the beginning of the book, you cite uh, Reverend um, Dr. Martin Luther King's sermon, which was delivered yes. in 1963, mm-hmm. A Knock at Midnight. Yes. And you talk about how this sermon, for -hmm. those of you who have have not read it or ever heard it, which is, it was a very important Mm -hmm. um, sermon for him to to, uh, deliver because he, in many ways, was preparing the black church community to be part. Yes. And... And, and have leadership in mm-hmm. the civil rights movement and and the, the the title of the 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 sermon is answering the knock at midnight mm-hmm. and as you as you research these mm-hmm. 150 mega churches mm-hmm. was it your impression that the call to action by Reverend King at that time is still being answered at midnight by these churches. 
Well, I, I, I'm glad you brought that sermon up and, and that part of um, uh, how I talk about it in my book because I really it's really a sermon that I really um, kind of learn a lot from every time I read it. Um, and it really, it really kind of like frames the whole question. That was my question um, mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. book. You know, that was my main question. How are these churches answering the knock at midnight? And so Martin Luther King Jr. He talks about it. He's talking about uh, one of Jesus' parables where he's, you know, telling a story to try to, you know, explain a lesson. And so he, so Martin Luther King Jr. does the same thing. So he's, you know, saying, you know, when a man comes at the door knocking at midnight and asking the church for a loaf of bread, you know, he's asking, you know, what should the church do? And obviously the answer for Martin Luther King is that they should, you know, provide the bread. And he's talking about the bread of, like, economic justice, the bread of civil rights. He's writing in 1963 at the height of the civil rights movement. And it's really a challenge for black churches and churches in general, but black churches in particular, to really participate in the civil rights movement and to really, you know, engage in politics and in public life. Um, and so he he expressed you know hope that they would um, do better, but also it was a critique um, for them at the time not doing enough, right? Not doing what he thought you know um, churches should do at the midnight hour, at the hour of most desperate need. And so that's my question. You like after you know forty years later, really forty plus, you know how do these churches? Um, Respond. They have the resources, and he even actually addresses large churches. He's not talking about mega churches, of course. It's not wasn't that phenomenon. There were large churches, but he says, you know, um, you, he talks about jumboism. I think he says, and he says, you know, it doesn't really mean that these churches, because they're large, that they will do more, but they might. He expresses like a hope that they that they might, you know, um, and so. What I found was that there are some nuances to whether or not the megachurches answer the knock, that some of them, you know, do or attempt to address some of the needs that we would consider answering the knock at midnight, um, you know, trying to fight for, you know, advocate for certain public policies that would advance um, the, the needs and the rights of the of the disadvantaged or the the people who are the disinherited, um, wh- where others don't um, really address it in that way. Um, um, so there's a lot of diversity there. Um, what I found was that really the theological orientation of these churches um, really kind of like determines how they will participate in public life. It's really a question about how churches will participate in public life, and there are there's diversity there, and it's really kind of like dictated, or you, it's predicted by their theological orientation. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that the churches are all, one of the critiques about the churches in, in the theoretical debate, <coughs> excuse me, was that a lot of black churches were otherworldly, that the reason they weren't addressing are really like answering the knock is because they are, um, you know, they're very otherworldly. There was that otherworldly tradition that they are really, you know, waiting for heaven or the by and by or they're not, you know, where you would get your reward. So it's not important to really worry about this life because in the afterlife you would get your reward. Well, black megachurches generally do not have that perspective, even though they may not be answering the knock in the way that Martin Luther King kind of wanted or, 
are, are, are called for, they don't really have the otherworldly perspective generally as a group. And so that's kind of like one thing they have in common. They're very disworldly, dealing with the issues of of this world. Um, and so that's one of the things I find well, out. That, you know, that, that is one of the contemporary um, criticisms of um, the black, quote, the black church, unquote, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that the church is drawing off out of the community people who could mm-hmm. be resourceful, people who could be engaged, mm-hmm. but they are not because the church encourages, no matter mm-hmm. what the theology, especially mm-hmm. if it's a large church, a dedication internal rather mm-hmm. than external. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that certainly uh, is not a general um, fact, mm-hmm. but we do see that there are many churches who could be engaged mm-hmm. in the public life of black people mm-hmm. looking at, I mean, when you think about it, yeah. the, in 1963, as mm-hmm. Dr. King uh, saw it, um, the church was the major capital mm-hmm. of the black community, the political capital, the moral cap- uh, capital, and the social capital. Mm-hmm. But we see these churches, the churches that are emerging, and it's not just the mega churches that seems to be draining off those resources because people have become disconnected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to work on my, you know, kind of like I have to work on my Jesus thing, and I don't mm-hmm. have time to worry about who's mayor and who's in the the school board and who's going to get elected to the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, that capital is created and developed mm-hmm. by this and, and this is contemporary. I'm just checking with you because you're the expert as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I, that that the, the the capital of the church mm-hmm. is being created and developed and maintained by some mythical power that mm-hmm. the church has in communities. Mm-hmm. What say you on on uh, in in those spaces of thought? Well, I think that you are really hitting on something with the kind of like um, that some of these churches are, I I think I'm hearing you say that they're almost like insular, that they are kind of um, focused on that some of them, and I think that this is a, 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 you know, an aspect of many of the churches um, that are part of the megachurch phenomenon, that they are, they are disworldly. Now, it's not that they're uh-huh, only focusing on the Jesus thing. I mean, the Jesus thing, yes, in a way, but not the Jesus thing, meaning we're not going to worry about what happens to us in this world, that we're just going to, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. But but they are insular in that they focus on kind of like the the lives and the well-being and the prosperity of whatever of the members of the churches. So they might have, you know, personal and, and development classes. This might be kind of like... Um, uh, exemplified by having, you know, really focusing and having only ministries that are designed to benefit and to develop spiritually, personally, economically, whatever, um, the members of the churches. 
okay, mm-hmm. only, mm-hmm. you know, and not really mm-hmm. focused on any outside, like, community development. Um, mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, many of these churches are engaging in very extensive community development. I mean, over half of them, and this was a surprising thing that I found um, to me. It was surprising to me that over half of them have, you know, separately incorporated nonprofits specifically designed to do community development, whether it's um you know, housing. the hard development like housing mm-hmm. or trying to do some kind of commercial development or even the softer development like providing social services to the outside community, not really for their church members. I mean, the church members, yes, but not only. And so mm-hmm. they are, you know, engaging the community, and they're not mm-hmm. only insular. So I think mm-hmm. that's one of the ways that these churches vary. Yes, there's certainly that 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 strand of um, of the idea that, the church is there as kind of almost like a um, personal empowerment or, you know, improvement or something like that for the individual mm-hmm. members. But then also mm-hmm. there's kind of like the the, the outside, the, um, the focus on the, the community in these churches. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, uh, I would like to share the name of uh, a researcher. She is a uh, a professor at African American Studies at Harvard University, Evelyn. You probably know her, Dr. Evelyn, and I know her so well, and her name escapes me right now. (laughs) But she did a whole book in looking at uh, housing development Mm -hmm. that black churches uh, undertook over a 20-year period Mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in the Harlem area and in her book she lists numerous housing programs and projects i'm talking about brick and mortar mm-hmm. uh that churches were involved in across the country evelyn um I, if if it comes to me i'll i'll let you know and i shouldn't have mentioned it if i couldn't um if i couldn't um remember but i i think that one of the things that we have to be concerned about and 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 in in going through your uh in 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 reading your book mm-hmm. if you look at uh how many denominations mm-hmm. um have uh it, it, of the 150 churches i was astounded by the fact that so many of these black mega churches are non-denominational why do you mm-hmm. think that happened um what well, i think well, one thing I think is that the, the non-denominational churches are um, are on the rise. I mean, they're just uh, incre- they're increasing in number, and sometimes because of the nature of church research, um, they kind of go unstudied. So I don't think it's just among you know the mega churches that you have these, these you know kind of like increasing numbers of non-denominational churches um but there's kind of just a um you know something that's increasing period but i think because of the independence of the non-denominational church the you know the lack of kind of like the connectional ties um that mm-hmm. allows them to be kind of even more kind of like entrepreneurial um you know in their kind of like the way they develop their churches. And so I think that's one reason for you. also have a lot of them that are Baptist, and we have a lot of Baptist churches, you know, black um, churches are, we have a lot of them that are Baptist just anyway. But I think also the Baptist church kind of lends itself to um, mm-hmm. kind of like that uh, independent um, 
you know, entrepreneurial, charismatic type of style that is important for the development of a mega church. Mm-hmm. Now, my sister, who is who is a minister and who is listening to this program tonight, will probably say, "Here she goes on her heathen side." But, <laughs> I, I, but I want to ask you if the trend toward more black churches coming out of the traditional denomination, Church mm-hmm. of Christ, mm-hmm. um, AME, Baptist. Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. conventional Baptist, or uh, um, and, and and that to me that was a, a, a very striking part of the research yeah. that you did for this book. Yeah. And for those of you who are just joining us, uh, our guest tonight is Tamalyn Tucker Works. She is the author of a new book, The Black Mega Church: Theology, Gender, and the Politics of Public Engagement. And we thank her once again for being with us. But I think this whole fin- I, I found it stunning that mm-hmm. so many of the larger mm-hmm. mega ch- these mega churches were non-denominational. Mm-hmm. And I was reading, I put on my heathen cap, <laughs> and my heathen cap thinking cap said to me, "Are they doing this because there are so many many rules mm-hmm. about?" how you have to share mm. and how you have to conduct yourself and follow rules and policies mm-hmm. in the traditional denominations mm-hmm. that people are opting who start these churches. And I mm-hmm. do want to talk to you about the genesis of how some of these churches got started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and some of these churches are simply opting as they are organized to be mm-hmm. non-denominational. Yeah. For instance, in this country, yeah. I know that there are only uh, a handful mm-hmm. of black-led uh, Unitarian Universalist um, univer- uh, Unitarian Universalist um, churches, mm-hmm. and and three of them are in Washington D.C. So, and one is in Boston. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I noticed that the churches seem to be moving away. Like if you take mm-hmm. the mega churches like the Potter House with T.D. Mm-hmm. Jakes, Reverend T.D. Jakes, mm-hmm. and uh, Reverend Lo- um, Eddie Long's church in Atlanta, and mm-hmm. Creflo Dollar's church, they mm-hmm. are non-denominational. They don't belong to any anything. Uh-huh. And if you look at our history... You had to belong. I mean, mm-hmm. thirty years ago, you had to belong to something. Mm-hmm. What's your yeah. thoughts about that? Uh-huh. Well, what were they I, telling you? <laughs> well, I think that there is kind of like a move. They were talking about a move to non-denominationalism. That even though even churches that were a part of denominations, they kind of said, "Well, we want to move beyond." Um, denominationalism. One uh, researcher, Scott Thurman, who's done a lot of work on megachurches in general, he talks about um, what he calls functional non-denominationalism, and so that means that you know maybe they are they actually are affiliated with the denomination, uh, but they kind of um, have more things in common with maybe other mega churches or other churches um that 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 go beyond their denominational ties. So a part of it kind of says that they want to move beyond these denominational ties. I do think though that you have something where you, I, I mean I don't want to say that they're not they don't want to follow rules, but I do think that um these churches are 
they are led by kind of like charismatic, almost all men who, you know, really um, most of them are still these were the were the were the pastors of the churches when they became mega churches, um, and they mm-hmm. still remain the pastors. So a lot of it is based on kind of like that, you know, really the personal charisma of the person, you know, of the, of the pastor to, you know, mm-hmm. develop this following. And so it is. I think that I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I'm saying I think it's that does kind of like lend itself to the non-denominational independence, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That 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 carries, but the other thing about non-denominationalism is that these church non-denominational churches, it's not really a lot of empirical data about them, but they do tend to be kind of like conservative theologically and also politically. They have kind of mm-hmm. like you know in, in their political action and like manifest, and, and this is manifested in if we're talking about people, individuals who are non-denominational and kind of like their party affiliation and vote choice and attitudes towards certain public policy issues. Um, and so it is significant that so many of these churches are non-denominational, I think, for their for their general way that they will participate in public life. Um, and so that's one of the things that, you know, that I found, it, it, and a lot of these churches it, did start off with a denomination. Not a lot, but a few of them. And they moved. And, and, and they did, were moved off. And 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 decided that they weren't. I think that most of those cases are because of, you know, not wanting to conform to certain, I guess, rules mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Um, might mm-hmm. be. I mean, uh, I mean, it is it is clear but, that so many of them. But you mentioned women. Mm-hmm. Um. In doing research around um, um, Eddie Long's church down in Atlanta for a program that we did um, last year or some months ago, whenever it was, one of the things uh, I did was I went on their website and I started looking at the staff. Mm -hmm. These people hire somebody to wash hands and then somebody else to dry the hands. I mean, the staff oh, was huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like huge. Yeah. And most of the people on the staff, there were traditional roles. All the women mm-hmm. seemed to be secretaries, and all the people who were the chair of this and the the, the executive director of that seemed to be men. What did mm-hmm. you find when you were researching? I mean, the only megachurch that I know of, and I don't even know if she has a megachurch, mm-hmm. is uh, Juanita Bynum. Mm-hmm. I mean, and she has a yeah. mega business, but mm-hmm. I don't know if she has a megachurch. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you find out uh-huh. about women in mm-hmm. these um, environments? Yeah, well, I found that the the role of women in black megachurches is, is you know, it's very similar. It parallels the role, role of women in in churches and organized religion and black churches in general. I mean, it's very, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a um, what some people call a stained glass ceiling in these churches that they, you know, they can rise but not you know, but only so high, especially when you're talking about ministerial leadership. However, in the mega churches, um, there were, like when you look at other studies of, of black churches in general, um, 
the 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 pastors that I interviewed and the assistant ministers that I interviewed at the church at the black mega churches were more likely to you know um support women in ministry i mean at least the ideas that 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 women should be allowed to be you know in ministerial leadership they should be able to pastor a church should be able to be pastors of churches um and you also mentioned you know so so the on the one hand you know, most of them are led, I mean, the vast majority, the two that well, when I was really doing the bulk of this research, and both of these people are passed on, um, but it was Johnny Coleman and, and Betty Peebles, who's here, who was here, who just recently died um, at the Jericho uh, City of Praise. Um, so these two women were, were leaders of mega churches. Um, but for the most part, they are led by men, the vast majority. Um, but there are uh, so that you know really parallels what goes on in churches. Um, but when you look at the staff, you mentioned the kind of like how they have these very large staffs. And one of the things I found is that they also have large ministerial staff. I mean, some of them it might range from six to maybe yeah. fifteen people in a, in a ministerial staff. Uh, most of them, the vast majority, had some women in ministry. You know, on on the ministerial mm-hmm. staff at some point, at some place. You know. Um, many of them had women who were second in command, you know, second, I guess, in, um, you know, in authority. And it's usually um, their their wives. Oftentimes, <laughs> yes, oftentimes their wives. <laughs> Not always, but oftentimes it's their, a family their wives affair. were the were the, were the co-pastors um, uh-huh. uh, in 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 the. In the ministry, but not always. I mean, there were some, you know, mm-hmm. who who were who were not related to the to the pastor, who were, you know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. second in command. But they are they are on the staff. I mean, I don't think that it's worse than in the regular black church. It might even be a little bit better, as far if you you know if you if you think that women should be able to participate in the ministry. I think that uh, in the mega church, it may even be a little bit better than in churches in general. We're, we've got to take a break, Tamalyn. But uh, one of the things when we come back I want to talk about uh, is how these churches share with and and are engaged in the places where they they exist. Mm-hmm. And the other is whether or not they're so insulated to the extent that they do not understand that within the black community there's a great deal of animosity and hostility toward them especially mm-hmm. um you know and 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 the other is um to the extent that they understand their potential right. in assisting in rebuilding um uh, commun- uh, uh the communities in which they mm-hmm. rely upon for their membership mm-hmm. uh, you know i i think it uh, I think people are puzzled uh, by this. Um, Mm -hmm. um, You know, I I think that there is a great deal of anger Mm -hmm. uh, about some of the policies and and public proclamations by some of these churches in relationship to issues on homosexuality, in Mm -hmm. relationship to to, uh, issues having to do with public education mm-hmm. um, many of these mega churches have their own schools there are expensive schools and inadequate uh, staffing and resources but they draw off of 
public grants, and I, I think a, a lot of people are very angry about that when we come back from break. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Dr. Tamlin Tucker Ward. She's the author of The Black Mega Church. And we'll take your calls in our next segment with her. Um, the Black Mega Church may not be all that you understand it to be, but it is not all that we need it to be. <laughs> I'm Janice Graham, yeah. and we'll be right back. Beyond the pageantry of the Black Mega Church. Thank you for joining us tonight here at Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Taking your calls with our guest, Dr. Tamalyn Tucker Wards. Is our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves? 20 years broadcasting bold, brave, and black. Declare real, raw, and right now. It's the I Declare Show. Hi, this is Janice Graham suggesting to you that your Monday through Friday talk destination must be I Declare on Blog Talk Radio with India Declare. Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Oh, no, honey, we can't put in, we can't, oh my gosh, we can't have any expectations of clean air. Who are we, the American people, to want, I don't know, some clean air and some clean water? God forbid. Oh, let's see. Anti-education, Pell Grant, screw it. If you can't afford to get in, you ain't getting in. That's the uh, Repub motto. And, of course, the anti-woman. Small government, small government, small government, vote for me. Small government, small government, small government, vote for me. I don't want the government involved in anything unless you have a uterus. If you have a uterus, buddy, we are, look, now, you tell me, that does not seem to be in the favor of the American worker. We have seen the aggressive assault and attack on labor in this country. Clearly, there is a degradation of uh, the standard of living in this country. I I think it is just flat out uh, undeniable. People are uh, learning to live with less, uh, on less, and uh, uh, and it's tragic. The poverty numbers are uh, through the roof. Come join India Declare, bringing it real, raw, and right now. India Declare, real, raw, and right now. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, We had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much experience. 
mistake. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. And we want to thank you for being with us and remind you that your talk destination, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m., I declare with India Declare, and she is our colleague, and we suggest that if you want to tune out to the just bland, 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 and no thank you, ma'am kind of talk radio, I declare, 11 a.m. here at Blog Talk Radio. Tamalyn, thank you again so very much for being with us. Tamalyn Tucker-Wargs, the author of The Black Mega Church, is with us. Before we went to break, one of the things I wanted to um, to, to, to get your take about is mm-hmm. to the extent that these mega churches um, understand the animosity and hostility and also mm-hmm. what kind of response you got when you were went to the parsonage <laughs> uh-huh. to um to interview some of these people yeah. because you know people out there are thinking mm-hmm. the mega churches you have regular working class black people who are going to work they're trying to take care of their family mm-hmm. they they are enslaved into things called tithing they're enslaved into obligations to their church that put stress mm-hmm. on their already meager resources, and people mm-hmm. are very angry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first, do they understand? <laughs> I I think that they're a little bit aware of the, um, I guess, resentment of of people who are outside of the mega church or who, yeah, they're they're they they are aware of their critics. I mean, I noticed when I was just even trying to do the research. Um, just to try to get access to the churches and to try to just I was asking empirical questions without, you know, as I'm trained to do without judgment or not, you know, just trying to find out the answer. And I do. they were very, you know, not everybody, but it was clear that there was a protective kind of like, you know, what? why do you want to know this? But it was about, it was, you know, with the knowledge of or about, you know, the critics or, you know their the resentment that they knew was out there, and would this open them up to more you know critique and so I think that they do kind of understand um mm-hmm. that they're that they are some people mm-hmm. don't appreciate uh um the, the inquiry. <laughs> yes mm-hmm. so um yeah um I think that they are just engaged in very different ways. I mean, I, I feel like I'm saying this, but they are they are very diverse in how they, you know, really address um, uh, some of these these issues. Um, you asked me, what did you ask? You know, me? one of the things. I mean, if you take, um, I think that people do get confused between. Mm-hmm. What we understand as the regular church and uh-huh. the black church and the regular and the black mega churches. I mean, mm-hmm. I never thought of the distinction until you mm-hmm. pointed it out to me in your book that there is a difference in how these people see their mission. Yes. But one of the concerns uh-huh. when you are thinking about that we are a community that's facing 20% unemployment. Mm-hmm. Right. We're 
facing the fact that our middle class has mm-hmm. deteriorated is and continues to deteriorate right. in our community. How is the church going to be mm-hmm. engaged? Right. And if you are so insulated, how are mm-hmm. you the moral and spiritual barometer for a community? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the insulated church, I mean, that's the thing about these churches. I mean, the, the insulated churches are not, um, they are. They have a different kind of way of thinking about what it means to engage in, in, in communities um, and, and to really engage and be kind of like moral and spiritual barometers. So their thing is I'm kind of looking at these, at my members, right, um, and I'm, um, you know, I, I may be offering things like, um, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, personal finance, uh, you know, um, seminars for my members to try to help help them in some way. You know, they might might do some things like that. Others have certain theological orientations that really don't look at the structure of society as something that needs to be really fixed. And that maybe, you know, they, they kind of see that people's individual faith, their faith and their faith walk needs to be strengthened, and this is how they might, you know, get past some of these obstacles on an individual basis, and they kind of focus on that. So really, and they see that as what the church should be doing in the world, right? And so that's kind of how they, you know, see themselves as, um, you know, really uh, engaging the world. Um, mm-hmm. So it just really like varies. I mean, you said something that I thought was really interesting at the end. You said it might not be what we what we thought, but it's not all we need it to be. And I think that's that that is true, you know, just period, you know, that these churches I mean that just it's not just these churches but our institutions. I mean we need so much. And so, you know, we really have to think about so really what I focused on was kind of I foc I looked at these churches I looked at all of them, but I really started to think about and want to go think further about the churches that are trying to answer the knock at midnight, right? The ones that really do try to engage and really kind of like have that, you know, um they have the idea that they are supposed to be doing something in the community, um, around them. Um, in order to kind of really live out what God wants them to do, and so even but even those churches really have um, challenges figuring out what that is, right? How to do this? Like, what is it that they should be doing? Um, and so one of the things I found was that a lot of them are using what is called like a community development approach, and that really kind of distinguishes these activist churches um, differently than those, say, in the civil rights and pre-civil rights era um, who may be more engaged in maybe protest politics or, um, you know, even electoral politics in the immediate post-civil you know, civil rights era. Now they are doing like what they call the community development approach, which is like kind of like direct um, you know, provision of services or something like this that may even, you know, challenge some of the way we think that, you know, churches should even be acting. You mentioned um, having this, their own schools and, you know, um, you know, um, advocating for, you know, vouchers and things like this, which, you know, they kind of see as ways to try to deliver services to underserved populations, but they're kind of like it's some debate about mm-hmm. the best way to go about doing those things. So right. I think it's kind and, of and, and, it's and, nuanced. And, and, it's not, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking while reading the book that, I, you know, first of all, it sounds like most of these churches 
don't believe in democracy, but that's okay because it's their church. Um, even Cap went back on. <laughs> the other is, I think that sometimes um, the churches um, that you studied do want to do the right thing, but they also have to do kind of like a, a marketing mm-hmm. um, a campaign within mm-hmm. the church as well as within the community in order to mm-hmm. be able to maintain their status as yeah. a black mega church. Mm-hmm. And some of and when I mention the schools, one of the things that I get concerned about mm-hmm. is that if you have what what you know some people consider the many many mega churches and they're mm-hmm. using the the black mega church model mm-hmm. to develop develop their institutions and they get uh-huh. into these schools and they mm-hmm. get grants to start charter schools and all of this is draining off the resources for the larger community. Mm-hmm. They have a charter school or a private school, the tuition mm-hmm. is so high mm-hmm. rather than engaging at the level of community education policy mm-hmm. using political strategies to right. increase the capacity for education for children in our community. Those are the right. and, and and I just yeah. wonder if mm-hmm. they understand the consequences of yeah. of all of this. You know, I'm, for instance, mm-hmm. I, I I just I see a lot of churches mm-hmm. um across the country and and and, and I'll admit I come from a long tradition of AME. Uh, mm-hmm. At one time when I was in high school, I wasn't sure. I, I was kind of sure, but I really thought about going into the ministry. Mm-hmm. And my, the impediment was they weren't going to let me be a minister and they weren't going to let me be in charge, and I wasn't going to have it. As my family says, mm-hmm. so you turned into a heathen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll grant that, mm-hmm. but I, I think that you know there are lots of development programs that need to happen in our community. When we go through this epidemic of teenage pregnancy, we go through mm-hmm. epidemics of black uh, males killing each other, mm-hmm. and I don't see the institutions, whether it be the church or whether it mm-hmm. be the community center or whoever mm-hmm. or whatever interceding in a significant way mm-hmm. into those issues yeah. in a, an authentic way not mm-hmm. just talking about it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. It, it's very disturbing and i think that i don't stand alone uh we we talk enough about this in mm-hmm. in this uh audience and on this program mm-hmm. uh and, and and i don't think i talk alone but at the mm-hmm. same time Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have to ask people to be rational and reasonable mm-hmm. about uh, what the facts are. Right. And in most communities, yeah. the, the facts mm-hmm. are kind of blurry. Blurry, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I wanted to do was just to kind of bring up some of the facts. I mean, I know I know all of the critiques about the mega church, and I know from visiting them and looking at them, you know, looking and saying, okay, well, what about all this opulence? Even if we have a, um, you know, we have 
uh, community development programs, but we have kind of like a multi-million dollar building, is that like the best way to put the resources or whatever? So I think, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I hear you, <laughs> but I mm-hmm. do think it's, it's, it's more nuanced than, I think it's, it's nuanced. I mean, I think, first of all, there's so much diversity in what these churches are doing. Um, so if you look at um, some of the housing um you know, that they have built or renovated or provide, you know, tried to provide, but, you know, yeah. trying to address housing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's the elderly and disabled. Um, uh, uh, these churches are getting faith-based money from um, all of the federal agencies, whether it be HHS or EPA yeah. or HUD but, but, or DOJ, DOE. Right. But even before and without faith-based money, which is very elusive, the actual faith-based money, I mean, it comes from different, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, this is this is something that they were doing. Some of them without federal money, you know, they do sometimes have municipal grants or sometimes, but before and kind of like faith-based. But before uh-huh. kind that's of like federal money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I try but to explain to these people that's federal money. It just gets pushed down to the communities mm-hmm. differently. Right. That's right. It, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, to do, but to do things, and to, and and that they are the ones actually doing it, and they are, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think it's kind of nuanced. Even when you look at the, the the schools, I mean, I think that's a debate about the best way as opposed to do you want to do mm-hmm. it. Even the, the, I mean, I think it's kind of because the school, the public schools, to, you know, I, I. You know, withholding what I think about the public schools or what you should do. I mean, I think it's a real debate. Should you do like a charter school, or should you try to, you know, do education in, in a private school that you think, you know, will really educate children if you see that schools are failing, or should you put your focus on trying to improve the public schools? I don't think it's like always a no-brainer because mm-hmm. the then, kids are, the students are going through school right now. They 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 might not be able to wait until the school turns around. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying. Right. I think it's a, actually a debate. I, I think there are actually debates there about what is the best way and how do you, you know, how do you, I don't think it's just so cut and dry and simple. I think it's kind mm-hmm. of a little more. You know, years ago mm-hmm. when there was at the beginning of this whole explosion of problem, disciplinary problems with black children, mm-hmm. um, when um, when the children of the crack epidemic went into school. Um, I was one of the people that advocated that churches should get together mm-hmm. and any child within their community, mm. they should have a center. And, and you see, it's this competition of who's the biggest and, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like the hat competition in in a church. Mm-hmm. You know, who's got the biggest feather and whose flip on the hat is bigger, you know, among the women and who, yeah, I mean, but... It was, it was. I advocated that every church in a community ought to get together and say, we're going to have a program for all children who go to public schools mm-hmm. who get suspended for three to five days, mm-hmm. that we'll put a partnership together with the public schools, mm-hmm. that those children will come to a church-sponsored program during school hours. And we will be get, and that program will be designed to help black children understand the 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 evil of their ways or whatever. <laughs> Put them on a the good foot. That's right. Get them on a the good <laughs> foot. Um, and and we could have 
maybe saved some mm-hmm. that we lost, and we lost mm-hmm. so many yeah. in the in the 80s and and 90s. Mm-hmm. That if there was going to be a charter school sponsored by faith-based charter school that it should be a joint effort between all the churches, not just mm-hmm. the mega church, mm-hmm. not just, you know, the the other church that's going to fail because they don't have the resources. But I think that this whole notion of meganess mm-hmm. <laughs> um, has is jaded mm-hmm. in many ways. I mean, imagine for a moment... If all of the black churches, and I'm talking about the the ones on the in the street corner, uh, the, mm-hmm. the the ones in the um, storefronts, and the ones in the huge edifices, mm-hmm. got together and hired a panel of experts in the field of educating black children, mm-hmm. and worked with a lobbyist who would work, who would be their representative in fashioning policies about how we educate our black children. I read the other day that there are very few public school um, curriculums in this country that are teaching black history. Mm -hmm. What does that do for us? Right. And if you're going to be a mega church, you know, one of the things about power is just like a dollar. If you mm-hmm. don't spend it, it's not worth anything. Right. So use it, yes. Yeah. And 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 my question to you is, um, of the 150 churches that you did mm-hmm. interview and research, mm-hmm. are any of these people understanding and framing the kind of political and um, economic power that they have in the in their communities? And how are they using it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they. I feel like I think they use it in different ways. I I don't want to say that they all, even churches that kind of do, you know, use it. I'm not saying they do it all, everything they can do, but I do think that there are some churches that you know are doing some of those things. I mean, there are churches that have you know have sponsored public schools that has ha- that ha- that has happened. That you know that that um, I don't know about the now the public policy end is a little bit different. There are you know some kind of like individual ministers who we you know know who kind of are outspoken on public policy and and there are churches that quite a few of them that have you know social and political concerns ministries like a lot of these churches do have you know the ministries and so they you know multiple ministries and 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 quite a few of them have what they call social and political concerns ministries where people you know that that is something that they you know think about public policy advocacy now I don't know if to the extent of you know that people would be doing it if they if they were actually involved in like a social movement you know that they they are the the activist ones I like I said are tending more towards the community development approach which is different from kind of like the you know the 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 public policy advocacy approach um and so they are kind of seeing that as a as a way to um engage in politics um or engage in public life more viably than you know that that's kind of like the trend. Um, so I mean, you know, it, it, it's nuanced, but they do they are engaging. But I would say in different ways than maybe we would expect or even some would want 
um, they're not the protests and the public policy route as much as they are the community development approach and 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 route. Um, mm-hmm. And you clearly you clearly posed the question in the book whether or not these churches address the challenges that persist for black people in right. post rights America. Mm-hmm. And you you proffer some very interesting responses uh to that and 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 you and one one of the things I like about the book is that you do clarify that all of these churches are not identical and that in many ways, we need to turn our attention from attacking them to perhaps in our communities to try to attract them to mm-hmm. more of the pressing needs, to address mm-hmm. directly more of the pressing needs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that it's a two-way street, mm-hmm. and that's what you point out in the book. Yeah, I mean, I like that. I mean, they are a place where there are a lot of resources are harnessed, even if it's just to build a big building, you know. And, and so I do think that it's something that people who, you know, kind of want them to go in a certain direction should try to, you know, lead, you know, or, or, or move them in that direction. I do think that many of them are open. Well, they they want to answer the knock. Right, and so if we uh-huh. think, I do think that, and, and they are and they are harnessing these resources now. A lot of them are needed in order to maintain, you know, the mega church and the building and just pay the bills or whatever. But they are harnessing all of these resources, and they and they are doing things with it. And if we kind of want them to go a certain direction, I do think it's important to kind of put out there what that direction should be, and then some of the cautionary tales and you know some of the challenges and you know to have because what I talk about with Martin Luther King Jr. when I I know that's a different time and and it's not totally applicable to our time today, but he talks about what the church should do and how they should engage public life in that in that knock at midnight speech that I talked about earlier, and he says that one of the things they should they should be a guide and a critic of the state and they should you know work for social and economic justice and so the thing is like if we want that to happen in a particular way, we have to kind of like clarify what that means, you know people who are of that mind um and and then kind of, you know, uh, work in our churches if we are mm-hmm. a part of them too. Yeah. To, you and, know, and, but, but that you know, and your book is going to be so critical, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you why after 20 years of doing talk black talk radio, is because it's going to try it it, it will help people to temper mm-hmm. their understanding of what these black megachurches are. And one of the things that it helped me to do was just dispose of Creflo Dollar and T.D. Jakes and I'm not hating on Eddie Long no more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) Because they really, they really are not, they are, they are three Mm -hmm. outside of the 150 Mm-hmm. Mega churches of uh, that that you have researched, mm-hmm. and it really helps you bring some balance to your thinking about this. Uh, you're listening to Our Common Ground, and our guest tonight is Dr. Tamalyn Tucker Works, and she is the author of the Black Mega Church. I'm Janice Graham. Tamalyn, we're going to have to take a break. I've got to sell some radio, yeah. and I hope that you will take calls when we come back. 
sure. uh, because okay. I'm sure that there are some persistent ideas about uh, the black mega church, despite uh, what we have discussed at the beginning of this program. Yes. Our yes. number for those who, of you who would like to join us in this conversation, 347-838-9852. I'm Janice Graham. We're going to take a break, and coming back, I'll be listening for you. I believe in sex. I believe in love. I believe in taking responsibility. I believe in using condoms. Yo confío en mi comunidad. I believe in being honest and open. I believe in keeping my partner safe. I believe in myself. I believe in stopping HIV. I believe in the future. HIV stops with me. 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 So there's a number of domestic burning domestic issues that we have not seen as strong as human rights commitment. And what we say human rights commitment is, is that the U.S. government will take a holistic approach to addressing those domestic uh, civil rights, civil liberties issues, and using human rights as a way to, to promote and uh, protect people's rights um, on, the, on, the, on the number of issues. The stimulus plan, for example, has been... Uh, has been an, is at the center of, of the government's attention, and yet we haven't seen the stimulus plan used, or at, le at least have not seen enough of how the U.S. government will be using that to promote um, uh, full equality in the distribution of those funds so that uh, people who are um, uh, disadvantaged, poor, uh, and, and, and community of color would be receiving those funds and would be able to, to improve the quality of This is our common ground. Thank you for being with us. We'll be right back. Enter the Lion's Den. Enter the Lion's Den with LDX and Information Man. Swagger Talk Radio at TruthWorks Network. TruthWorks Network. Into the lion. Enter the lion's den with LDX featuring Information Man. Only at TruthWorks Network. Thursdays, Fridays, 9 p.m. East Coast, West Coast. Meet. I'ma bring my people to the light this Royal Lion Mob into the lion. 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 
you so much for being with us here at Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. And we do thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. We want to remind you that the Our Common Ground communication sponsors another uh, network here at Blog Talk Radio, TruthWorks Network, a new program coming online November 3rd, Enter the Lion's Den. We hope that you'll join LDX and Information Man, 9 p.m. Thursdays and Fridays. And also, Architects of Change with Elvin Dowling and Friends on Wednesday at 9 p.m. Power, Power Views coming to you on Tuesdays. At 10 p.m., Reloading the Truth, the best of interviews across the Internet. And this week we'll be uh, rebroadcasting the WVON interview with the Brother Minister Louis Farrakhan on the assassination of Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, That will be Tuesday night. On Saturday at 3 p.m., it's the Alpha Show, and we call it just Damn Radio. <laughs> and if you haven't heard the rocks that he throws, it's 3 p.m. at TruthWorks Network on Saturday. Coming on November 14th, Peter Matthews, the Global Village Voice. And we hope that you will join um Peter in interviews from across the world, uh, the issues that affect our humanity and enrich us at 9 p.m. on Monday nights. And again, we want to thank uh, Tamalyn Tucker-Wards for being with us tonight. Uh, Tamalyn, let me ask you about your own engagement uh, inside the black church. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that these these big churches really offer some kind of personal connection for most people, or is it just too big to fail, or too big to be good? Or <laughs> um, well, I think it again it varies. I think that the you know you kind of have different levels of membership at a mega church. I you, you used to attend. I used to do something called church hopping, and I probably went to every mega church in the. Um, you know, visited each everyone in the um, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area when I was uh, when I first moved here, um, and you kind of, I kind of actually at that time was wanting something that was a little bit like where I could kind of be anonymous, and so you could kind of kind of be on the periphery, but yet you could still you know go every Sunday, um, and so. I think for some people it is like that. But on the other hand, there are those who, you know, just like with any large organization, you can, you know, there kind there there are kind of like different levels of kind of like participation and membership. So the way that the mega churches kind of hold people who want to be more involved, um, they can, you know, join ministries. They have smaller ministry groups or, or cluster groups um, that you can belong to. But then, again, this is kind of like voluntary, but that you can belong to and then have that smaller group identification and, and you know, feel a part of the church that way. So that's one of the things that they've been very good at, really serving two different kinds of churchgoers, the ones who really want to be you know, connected to other people very intimately and those who want to be 
not, <laughs> you know, want to be, you know, uh, you know, kind of. Well, we on have the to periphery. shake those loose. We have to write opinion, <laughs> uh, letters, uh, opinion letters to the local newspaper on those. Um, it's really interesting that you're involved in this research and and you have become the expert on the black church. I don't think I could ever go to church again without oh. sitting there and saying, "Are these people trying to organize us into a black mega church? And what's the <laughs> model here?" And 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 there are people, Tamlin, out there mm-hmm. who say, you know, I rant and rave about a couple of churches, a couple of things about the black church, and mm-hmm. part of that is that. You know, I, I'm a child of the civil rights and black power movement, mm-hmm. and uh, I grew up in Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. And the safest place, the most powerful place as a kid for me mm-hmm. was the church. I learned how mm-hmm. to read at the church. I learned mm-hmm. how to present at the church. Mm-hmm. Um um, when I was when when I was a young kid, our pastor when he would put us to work in the middle of the church service, he'd tell us. Right. I was a kid that uh, uh, welcomed the visitors because I was a mm-hmm. good talker. Mm-hmm. And and when I would go into my seat, the pastor would get up and say, "Now that girl, that's somebody." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. and that's what black children got from church. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if if we as a people are losing our way because we are now reshaping mm-hmm. what worked for us. Right. Our number is 347-838-9852, and we welcome your calls now. Our lines are open mm-hmm. uh, for your comments, your questions with uh, Tamlin Tucker Wards, your your impressions about how we find the balance. You know, the the other is, I mean, I look at I I, I spent a lot of time as a political consultant. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, I was taking candidates into the black church to make their candidate speech before an election. Mm-hmm. Had a, had meetings with mi- black ministers to talk about mm-hmm. what the agenda was and mm-hmm. what the uh, political philosophy of candidates was, mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And, right. and and I'll tell you, some of them people real corrupt, Tamla. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, they are. Well, I was going to say, I think a part of the the I don't know something element here is that you know there's kind of a romanticization about the black church. I mean, we kind of uh-huh. say, okay, even the civil rights movement. I mean, yes. Black churches were, there were black church leaders, and there were black churches that were very instrumental in providing different things, resources, the masses, you know, the people, communication, all these things. But the majority, the vast majority of black churches did not participate in the civil rights movement. And some of them were, you know, really kind of like barriers to, you know, mass mobilization of and, and participation and so and so that's not so that, that mega churches or even whatever kind of churches of the contemporary era, if they're not doing all we need them to do, they're right along with, you know, a tradition of of, of some churches standing out and being, you know, trying to answer that knock and engage in the ways that maybe we would want them to and, and, and most not. And so that's yeah, other yeah. things that I just wanted to bring yeah. up. Let's go to our phones, and before we uh, do that, um, I, I, I do think that there are some things that have to do with black churches in general, like 
the the unimaginable homophobia oh, uh, mm-hmm. in in black churches, mm-hmm. and it, it is not specific to 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 black mega churches, mm-hmm. but we have to understand. And I was thinking about this in, in reading the book. Mm-hmm. Um, black mega churches got a bigger megaphone. Yes. And yes. and that makes them that makes them so important and mm-hmm. critically important and different. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the phones. Five eight five, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for being with us tonight. How you doing? Uh, good, thank you. How are you? Thanks for calling. Um, uh, no, thanks. Um interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um I wish the mega churches would Utilize their power and influence more. Mm-hmm. Um, organizing around whatever issue they need to be, you know, dealt with. I mm-hmm. think that if the mega churches was more um, connected to the community or mm-hmm. utilizing that power, we could mm-hmm. get more done. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, yeah I, and. And, and I, caller, I just wanted to add while you were saying that, and it's something that's been on my mind all night, is mm-hmm. that, and that's why I've featured the the music of Kirk Franklin, his revolution. Mm-hmm. Do you want a revolution? And the church, and and we need a revolution. And I hear mm-hmm. you saying that. Mm-hmm. And these churches do have the capacity mm-hmm. to assist in transforming and mm-hmm. changing uh, a current condition. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yes, I agree with that as well. I mean, I think that they do have the uh, some capacity. They have capacity to assist, and they have maybe in, in as a group more capacity than they than they use. Um. Uh. Um. But one of the things we have to just kind of like recognize, or, or that I was thinking about um, with your comment, caller, is that they might, you know, you know, mobilize in ways that we don't want them to mobilize, which is what. Um, I think that you were going, Janice, with with your earlier comment about some of these churches with the loud megaphones are mobilizing in ways that, you know, politically that we haven't really seen in the past. I mean, not that we have, for example, the homophobia thing, not that we haven't seen like the homophobia before in black churches because, of course, we have, but the but the mobilizing around some of these um Socially like conservative issues and the political advocacy around them is something that we really you know kind of are are now seeing you know mm-hmm. um that mm-hmm. we haven't really seen in the past and so that and so you do have some mobilization around public policy issues, but you know for some of these issues, it might not be maybe what you would want you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but you know at the caller and i don't know uh I don't know where you're calling where you're calling from. But I think there are a lot of us outside of the mega church community. Well, I don't want my sister to call in and say I'm outside of the church community. <laughs> <laughs> but outside of the church community that believe that the more evangelical and fundamental the black church becomes it imbues a, a a level of intolerance that is uncomfortable it's uncomfortable for me 
Mm-hmm. When you can't in when you cannot, I mean, black people, no matter whether it was people who were picking cotton or people who were picking oranges or people who were driving buses or mm-hmm. people who came out of excoriating poverty, the black mm-hmm. church has always been a sanctuary of mm-hmm. comfort. And if mm-hmm. that institution becomes intolerant of our faults and our failures, as human beings, or our differences as human beings, mm-hmm. then what is it? Right. Just give you know, there are some people who say, just give me the money and go on about your business. I don't want your prayers. I don't want none of that stuff. Just give me the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say, I don't know if it's always been <laughs> this, this sanctuary for everybody. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, I think we want... I'm sorry, you know, in in the best light, in the best, you know, the best view of the black church has been this. You're right. I I agree with that. But I don't know if it. I don't know if it's something so different. I think the political mobilization around these issues is different. But the black church being this sanctuary for all of us and all of our brokenness, I don't know if that's really Mm -hmm. uh, a real of a real black church. Yeah, that but but you know the the thing of it and I don't know caller if if you might agree about this but there were adults in black churches in the in the 50s, 40s, 50s and 60s people who got involved in the church uh who had no dignity anywhere mm-hmm. else in their lives mm-hmm. but in the life, I mean, there were people who were leaders in the church, mm-hmm. uh, Sunday school teachers and choir people and, and ushers and, right. and nursing people. You know the nursing people, the little ladies that used to wear the nursing caps, if somebody got real shout-out happy in church, mm-hmm. and they'd come and take care of them. People who sought their dignity inside these institutions. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. it seems to me. Not, not only that. Not, not only that, but, mm-hmm. I mean, the church was a central place for organizing anything, political, Thank you. Um, social, Thank you. socially, anything. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right, caller. We, if, if the church has got back to that, we could get more done because, in my opinion, we can't move until the church gets its act together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not going anywhere because that's where the masses are at. Mm-hmm. That's where the people are at 11 a.m. Yeah. I mean, I would never do a radio show at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning because nobody would be coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you don't do anything mm-hmm. at 11 a.m. That's important in black communities because nobody, everybody's at church. So, I, I just, Tamela and I and and caller, I think that I think that we all agree how important uh, these institutions are yeah. in in our community. And the more, as you, as you say, they become, as, as you point out, they become insulated and set aside from the community. I mean, I think, I think it's wonderful if a church is going to develop housing. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, um, um, for for elderly people or mm-hmm. within the community, low income. But uh-huh. they could 
do it so much more powerfully if they right. had the support of the community. Mm-hmm. You have no idea how some of these developers and general contractors and, I mean, uh, uh, the whole notion of a church. I mean, if you have one Mm -hmm. mega church that said we're going to develop uh, 600 units of affordable housing Mm -hmm. and we're going to have a Section 3 program that's going to require all our contractors, all our general contractors, to hire the people who are eligible Mm -hmm. to live in federally assisted housing because that's the law that's Uh the law that's a section three law but they don't do that instead Mm -hmm. they keep it all quiet people don't know who's doing the development no well okay go ahead (laughs) i know i i know i know i'm uh but and and that's just one example but on the other other end uh the community could be helpful but in, with these churches that have the capacity to do these things, so much better. Mm-hmm. And your book, you Carly, you're going to buy the book, right? You're going to buy this book, right? The Black uh, Mega Church. Uh, this is a book please, everybody uh, should read. <laughs> mm-hmm. my, Go my ahead, Carly. What, 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 what do you mean by community can help the can help the church? The, the community um, could help the church by bringing more resources to the political capital. Okay, okay, but check this out. That's a two-way street because the church has Absolutely, capital. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I, well, I think, yes, I think that's true. I think, but... These churches, when they, I think, but part of it is kind of like the empirical. What are they doing? What actually are they doing? You know, mm-hmm. how are they actually building this housing? I mean, the right. churches that are doing the housing, these are the ones who are the progressive ones. So, this, so mm-hmm. I think, you know, they, these are the ones who are who have the separate nonprofit community development corporations with the boards that are supposedly, you know, a part of the the, the composition are people um, in communities. They are doing not for profit housing, but they're doing either low income um, housing, um, elderly, um, you know, housing, affordable housing, um, transitional housing for people living with HIV. And, you know, they're doing different things. And so I think it's kind of, I mean, they can always do better. I'm not saying that, but I think that, you know, you have to be clear on actually what are they doing. Um, How are they going about it? I can't think of Evelyn's name, Dr. Uh Evelyn. God, I mean, she's a good friend of mine. I'm sitting here, I can't think of her name. I'm just totally blank. And um, <laughs> that's ridiculous, but anyway, you're you're absolutely right. That's why your book is important. We have to have the facts. Uh, five eight five. Thank you so very much for your call. But I am saying oh. that it it is a two way two way. Yeah, it definitely is. I agree with that. I, that's yeah. what that that's I that's mean, what I'm saying. One of the points that you bring up about uh, this was a couple points ago, I think, but about the um. The, the church is being the center um, of community, uh, and that you learn things there. You you um, you are you are when you come, you have status, even if you don't have the same status in the regular world. And that is one of the like concerns, not concerns, but one of the kind of like challenges, I guess, with 
um, some of the ways that black mega churches kind of like engage in public life because one of the things that I found was that there was like an increased kind of like bureaucratization of you know their public engagement activities. So some of the things that might have used to they used to do churches would traditionally do not using a separately nonprofit where you have mostly professionals that maybe you know kind of like staff the actual CDC and, and do some of the work. I mean do the work. Um, you might have volunteers who are learning how to do a project and who are, you know, you might have more professionals or people who maybe they, they're, they're a part of the church and they maybe they're, maybe they're members, but they are also professionals in whatever type of area, you know, they're in, engaging in. And so it kind of takes away kind of like the learning opportunity and then some of the opportunities to build social capital that existed in the more traditional churches. So that's one of the things that I, you know, found. You might get things done more, some things done more, or, you know, efficiently or whatever, because the people have expertise in a particular area, but you're not getting the opportunities for building social capital and learning, you know, how to complete a project and developing your skills as a leader. So that's one of the, like, the challenges. Mm -hmm. And the person that I've been trying to think of is Evelyn Brooks Higginbotham. Oh, yes, yes, of course, Uh, I mean, Evelyn's book about... Uh About the Black Baptist Church, yes what uh what uh black churches are doing in in community development is very interesting and provides uh, a great deal of information but i i tell you your book is intriguing and for those of you who are listening the title of the book again is the black mega church theology gender and the politics of public engagement and one of the the i just want to tell you this tamlin is not like the whole book but the one the book that the chapter that I have written all over and have all these little colored tab things in it is mm-hmm. is your conclusion oh. because I think you have so eloquently um carried this message of answering the knock at midnight. And that that is so important because it was Dr. Martin Luther King who Mm -hmm. simply showed the black church the power that it had, the power to change and transform democracy and justice in this country. And and I thank you so very much, and it's been such a pleasure uh, to have you with us tonight. And thank you so much for having the insight and taking the initiative uh, to lay the facts out and give us some, you know, people like me. And there are a lot of people walking around with with just a bland confusion <laughs> about the black, about the mega churches. And, and I just want to underscore thank you for taking my eye off of Eddie Long and Chris Dollar <laughs> and and T D Jakes and putting me square in the middle of what the what the real community of black mega churches and their capacity. And I'm gonna stop beating up on them as an institution. <laughs> well that's great. Well I appreciate the chance to, to talk um and to and, and I and I really am honored to be on your show and I appreciate the work that you're doing. 
um, to try to advance, you know, the situation for uh, underserved people uh, in this country. I just well, thank you, my sister, and we hope to have you back because I'm going to find one of these churches and try to identify exactly what what they they are doing. And and the thing is that people must understand that um, you can ignite. You know, for instance, I was wondering just the other day, Tamalyn, why we don't have Occupy Black Church. Ah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, how many black churches in Boston? You know, I was thinking about the Ten Point Coalition, which I was uh-huh. very instrumental yeah. in working with here in Boston. Yeah. And 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 I was thinking, wonder if the Ten Point Coalition is going to offer the Boston, Occupy Boston people a place to be because it's snowing here. Right, right, right. We have a little snow here today, too. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of those people down, we we rode down there, and they have set up tents, Mm -hmm. but the Boston Police Department is not going to allow them to have their ski tents and their camping tents down there for very long. Right. (laughs) Uh, um, Right. I mean, and you would think that... um, it was a park uh, mm-hmm. around the card of the Federal Reserve Bank and the Federal uh, John F. Kennedy Federal Building uh, t- uh, today. Mm-hmm. So thank you so very much, and you are now uh, an official member of the Our Common Ground family, and we look oh, forward yeah. to having you back. Okay, thank you so much. So- thank you so much. You see, this is what we need to be telling our children our guest tonight was Tamalyn Tucker Ward, the Black Mega Church, Theology, Gender, and the Politics of Public Engagement. And she has written and done the research that is so intriguing, and we really encourage you to purchase this book. And we want to thank Jamie Wooten at kineticslive.com for assisting us in bringing um, – Dr. Tamlin uh, Tucker Wards to our common ground tonight. I hope you all are well. I hope uh, you're staying warm. It, it, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's, it's raining here. It's uh, I'm not, it's not raining. It is snowing. Um, the cars are covered. The driveway is covered. Um, and I can't wait to make my first fire tomorrow. Uh, and listen to some Clifford Brown in honor of his his birthday. I'm reading a book on Ella Baker, and I'm going to finish it up tomorrow. And one of the things I want to say to you, buy this book. Don't forget the $50 you owe the – every one of you owes $50 to the Advancement Project. Uh, talk to Judith Brown Dianus last night here at Our Common Ground. These people don't get, you know, we need to start we need to start citing our own people. I don't want to hear nobody from the school, some BU school of theology or to any other school. I mean, and Martin Luther King attended graduated from BU school of theology. Your your citing of what's going on in the black church ought to come from this book. Ought to come from Reverend Dr. James Cone, Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright. Why do we care about Pat, Pat, whatever his name is, not Buchanan, the other Pat man, the other crazy Pat man? 
Um, I'm not worried about them anymore. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to say goodbye, and I'll be good enough. Thank you for being in the chat. The black church is where once there was a black revolution. Do we still want a revolution? And is the black church the place that it can begin? Have we become disenchanted with its role in our communities? Thank you for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. We appreciate your joining us where truth is served. We're here each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. It's an issue that we skirt around all the time. And I'm calling us up particularly those of us who are here as clergy. There is a moral authority that we have dared to stand on as an African-American people. There is an authority that we have dared to stand on as women. But when it comes to our sexual orientation, we're still a little mealy-mouthed. We're still a little mealy-mouthed. Because there is something deep within our psyche because of the way that we continue to be treated, that is making too many of us question whether or not God really does, in fact, love us equally. That creates a profound sense of nobodyness. I love my church. I grew up in the church of God in Christ. I grew up in Bishop Samuel Crouch's church. And you couldn't get to be a bigger name in the Pentecostal movement. I grew up in the mother church. We had a whole separate building called the temple where we hosted all the convocations. I saw them. I saw them come. And I listened and I listened to rhetoric that was killing my soul. For the revolution.
others that some of us know about, some of us don't. And I really have to respect Dr. Tucker Wargs for taking on the task of the examination of the black mega church. Because, you know, the thing is, if I don't go on my wallet, I mean, some of you, you know, you might be different. I know Alpha might be different. I know House Music Lover in the chat room and and and, and Michelle on, on, the, on the line listening, that some of us may very well know how much we have in our wallet. But I stand before you, and I guess this is the only thing that I can testify about tonight. <laughs> if I don't go look in my wallet, I have no idea how much money I have on me. It could be a that could be a dollar bill, it could be a twenty dollar bill, it could be a hundred dollar bill. So, um I think that it is worth it to not only form as we always insist that our our opinions and our attitudes about each and everything should really be formed around what we know, the facts. It should be we should have informed opinions. I want to tell you that on November fifth, Frank Schaefer is coming once again to our common ground. He is going to be with us for the full two hours. He left the Christian right in the mid nineteen eighties after he realized just how very anti American they are. His father Francis Schaeffer was one of the founders, if you will, the modern-day Christian right. He is the author of Crazy for God, and we're going to be talking about his new book, Sex, Mom, and God, How the Bible's Strange Take on Sex Led to Crazy Politics and How I Learned to Love Women. And we're very excited about having uh, Frank Schaeffer back with us on November 5th. Don't forget to check out India Declare, I Declare, Real, Raw, and Right Now on um, Monday through Friday at 11 o'clock. And Into the Lion's Den debuts at TruthWorks Network on November 3rd. I'm Janice Graham, speaking truth to power. We thank our guest, Tamlin Tucker-Wargs, and we thank her for her book once again. I'll be listening for you. You've been tuned to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. And don't forget, here, Our Common Ground, each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Have a great weekend.
a young turk. 